Welcome back to the Eye on the Tigers podcast. I'm Dave Matter, the new beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com. And as always, we are joined by Post-Dispatch sports columnist Ben Fredrickson. We've got a big game to talk about this weekend. I guess it's it's big in some senses. It's a really big point spread. Missouri goes down to Georgia, number one Georgia, unanimous number one Georgia in all the polls, number one in the college football playoff standings, rankings, whatever we call those. And uh, Missouri is a 38-point underdog. Biggest point spread where Missouri has been the underdog since 1995 at Nebraska. That game did not go well for the Tigers. They were a 45-point dog that day, and I believe they lost 57 to nothing. So, Ben, on that positive note, welcome to the pod. What do you think about the Tigers' chances this weekend? I, I predict pain. Um, a lot of a lot of pain, varying degrees of pain, as much pain as as uh, Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs want to put on the Tigers. Uh, look, this is a Bulldogs team that in some ways you might say, hey, maybe it's a trap game. Right. Maybe they're going to be looking looking past Mizzou. No, they're playing for the college football playoff. Those rankings are are out. Georgia is understandably number one. But they also understand that it's about style points. It's about margin of victory. All those things the committee tries to downplay, they all matter. And uh, they're going to have that in their minds when they take the field. So I will say this. Your intro made me curious. Dave. When is the last time, not even Missouri, a team has gone from favored in a conference game one week to one week later? being a nearly 40-point underdog to another conference opponent. That can't wow. happen very often. No, no, that's a great point. I should have looked that up. Yeah, Missouri was favored last week, 16-point favorite at Bandy, only one by Double nine. digit, double digits on that's both ends. That can't happen very often. I mean, this is this this is the second biggest spread, I think, in, in an SEC game over the last five years. It's the biggest in the country this week uh, by by 10 points. The second biggest is, and this is crazy too to think about, LSU and Alabama. LSU, I think, is a 28-point dog. So I think more than anything, it tells us about Alabama and Georgia and what Las Vegas thinks of them and what they assume that the, the public, betting public, thinks of them. So, yeah, it, it's pretty wild. Uh, we're going we're gonna, to, later on in the pod, we're going to talk to Jim Donnan, former Georgia head coach. He was a Bulldogs head coach from 96 to 2000, also a former Missouri assistant coach. He was on Warren Powers' staff way back in the – early 1980s great guy he, he lives in Athens Georgia um, retired there used to be an analyst on ESPN and and uh, he checks in on the Bulldogs has a pretty good uh, pretty good sense of the the pulse in Athens and, and around Kirby Smart's program and he, he told some good stories and shared a lot of insight about this Bulldogs team so looking forward to talking to him but before that you know there's a lot to talk about with this Missouri team start with the, the quarterback situation um, not the ideal week to uh, have an injury at the game's most important position, but it's really, you know, opened up a situation that's really intriguing here. We saw it develop in the fourth quarter Saturday in Nashville. You know, Brady Cook, no one has ever been designated publicly the number two quarterback, but all signs pointed to Brady Cook, the redshirt freshman from Chaminade, being that guy. You know, he takes the snaps with the twos, uh, you know, before the game. When, when they you know line up according to their depth chart, there's no public depth chart, but you can see those things develop. Uh, and, and then Connor Bazelak goes down, odd situation. He kind of collapsed on the turf after getting up from getting hit in the head. 
but they're calling it a soft tissue injury. They weren't looking at his legs or anything like that, not his knees or ankles or anything like that. He, he was able to walk off the field after the game, uh, but he is kind of up in the air. Eli Drinkwitz will put his injury report out on Thursday. I suspect Bazelak will be on there, and then we'll find out at kickoff for sure who it's going to be, whether that's Brady Cook or the true freshman Tyler Macon, who did come in and play the final two series at – Vanderbilt and and Eli was pretty clear after the game it wasn't necessarily because he's the number two quarterback it was very situational they wanted to run the ball with the quarterback that's kind of Tyler making specialty uh, he played seven snaps two quarterback keepers three handoffs and two kneel downs so he didn't put the ball in the air at all and Eli basically said uh you know, had it been a different situation, different scenario, he would have gone with Brady Cook. I interpreted that as meaning if we had to throw the ball, we would have gone with Brady Cook if it would have been earlier in the game. So this is going to be a situation where it's going to be early in the game. Obviously, the start of the game, if, if Bazelak can't go, do you go instead with the guy that you trust to throw the ball more? We'll find out. I wouldn't, if Bazelak can't go Saturday, I wouldn't be shocked if we see both of these guys in some capacity. Um, not a whole lot to lose when you're 38-point underdogs see what you got in these guys, and uh, it'll be really interesting. Very similar two years ago, Missouri goes to Georgia. Kelly Bryant was a little banged up, went through warm-ups, but didn't play, and they they fed Taylor Powell to the Wolves. <laughs> Did not go well, and uh, Bazelak ended up finishing that game. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be pretty interesting. Uh, Eli was, was very coy about the situation this week, as expected. He shut down Tuesday's practice. Normally we can go and watch about 45 minutes, 30 minutes of practice, that did not happen this week, obviously related to the quarterback situation. You know, I'm taking a silver lining approach here. If if Connor Bazelak has, you know, if he's hurt, if he's if he's feeling tender um, or a little maybe dazed still from that from that hit, kind of like almost like a concussion type thing. But the way they've labeled it doesn't seem like that. So who knows at this point? But if he's got like, hey, if he just maybe a little crick in his back, you know, had a migraine within the past two to three months. Um, doesn't, uh, you know, maybe he ate something that doesn't sit well with him. I, I'm finding a lot of reasons potentially if I'm Eli Drinkwitz to not play Connor Bazelak in this game. And like, I don't, I don't take lightly the idea of, you know, raising the proverbial white flag here, but if he's not 100% for any, any way, shape or form, I'm not playing him. And I will gladly play the other two guys and I'll put it to bed this debate about who my backup quarterback should be. And, you know, already Drinkwitz is accused of, you know, uh, sandbagging one backup for another or, you know, not giving each guy a fair shot. Well, I'm giving him a fair shot. Go play against Georgia. And let's see Tyler Macon and let's see Cook and let's see them both throw. Let's see them both run. I mean, I would I would treat it and, and I would tell these guys, look, you know, this is going to settle who the number two is. And and if Connor can't keep going, then they will settle who the starter is. I, I'd turn it into a competition for those guys and I would play them both. And, you know, I, I think that it was – ridiculous to some degree to watch just the the reactions of the way the injury was handled last week I mean Cook comes in or, or I'm sorry Macon comes in because of the injury and the running situations and he does a good job he ran for a touchdown yeah. but automatically that's being used to say well Cook's no good and this is clearly who Drinkwitz had and it's like no we don't know that and and honestly you know Drinkwitz might might think he knows and Cook might be his number two but when push came to shove he went with Macon. So it can't be, it's got to be somewhat close and, and it can't, and maybe it's purely run versus pass. And maybe that's how you use them. 
although that gets pretty easy for a defense to figure out right away when there's a passing quarterback and a running quarterback, maybe there's some misdirection there that Eli can can work in. But I'm kind of to the point, Dave, where I, I guess this is Finn sitting. I'd like to see them both. You know, yeah. the, you know, I Macon has not been super impressive um, in, in, in what folks have seen. I get that. But there is also there's an element to some guys where they, they play a little better in games. A little concerning. We haven't seen them throw in a game. But uh, I, you're, you're playing Goliath. Take a shot. Get Connor healthy. But, but see what the backups can do is kind of where I stand on it. Yeah, he they did both throw the ball around a little bit against SEMO in the second half. And I'm not not really counting that because it was SEMO a little bit different than Georgia. And Macon had a, a little 10 yard slant that JJ Hester took to the house. So he got credit for that pass. It was a nice pass. But, you know, I, I've watched them practice. I've watched them scrimmage. And I, I, I you know, I'm not Mel Kuyper. I'm, I'm not uh, uh, Ron Jaworski, but I can say that I think Cook is a more polished passer than Tyler Macon at this point. Tyler gives you uh, the quarterback run part of the game. But even Drinkwitz pointed out at his press conference this week, he said, well, Brady Cook can run it too a little bit. So it's not like it's a decided well, that's the thing. Advantage. It's like, right. It's, yeah. You know, let's see them both do what they're supposed to not be able to do. Right. Let's right. give them both. I would like to see it. I mean, look. I'm not a, I'm not a coach. And obviously you try to win the game, but I do think it's okay to acknowledge what you're up against here. I'd, I'd give them trading series until, unless one guy dominates one. And then you, you know, I would, I would literally treat it as go show us what you can do. Yeah. I'd say one, one red flag with Tyler Macon. And, and this could just be that he's a freshman. And remember he didn't play his senior year at East St. Louis uh, because they had the COVID delay they played in the spring and by then he had already transferred or he'd already enrolled at Missouri. And I, I asked Eli this week, where is he as far as his development goes? And he, he talked about, Oh, he's a really hard worker. He comes in and works on his weaknesses. Um, but then he, he said this, and I thought this was a, a bit of a red flag knowledge of the playbook and repetition of schemes aren't probably where you wish they would be. Uh, that to me sounds like, you know, maybe having a little trouble, absorbing or grasping the playbook in its entirety um you know cook was here last year so he was able to learn the offense obviously connor knows the offense so that that might be a little bit of a concern with him uh and i i think too and this is a this is a fan thing and the fans are i say it all the time fan is short for fanatic so maybe they're not always the most reasonable uh, but i i think it's i think it started in the media somewhat too a little bit that maybe that's done a little disservice to Tyler Macon. I, I think there's this perception that he's, you know, Cam Newton or Tim Tebow, and he's going to save this program the minute he steps on the field. And I just don't know if he's there. I, maybe some point he could be, I don't know. Um, but when you're, when you're labeled and assigned four stars as a recruit, that automatically sets up expectations. And sometimes quarterbacks just, they, they need more time to, to cook in the system, no pun intended. And uh, I'd, I'd love to see Tyler Macon, you know, become uh, a, a great quarterback, a real playmaker in this offense. I mean, by all accounts, he was such a dynamic leader at East St. Louis. And, you know, he was, he, he, when he committed to this, to Drinkwitz's class, um, you know, he was kind of the ringleader of that class, got other guys on board and people just raved about him and his personality, but you got to be able to, to, to work the system and work the offense. And, you know, just from everything I've seen and heard, you know, they, they like cook more in this situation right now. We'll see what happens Saturday, but I'm with you, throw them both out there, see what they can do. Um, 
you know, at least you, spread the pain around. Right. And if, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And then, and you know, you got, you got more winnable games down the road. If you get yeah. either one of those you can settle on, or if Connor's ready to go for South Carolina the following week, then you go back to him. We talked early in the season and it wasn't a, it wasn't even a, a cook versus making thing, but we, we sat there in the press box in some of those lopsided games and said, this might be a, a time where you want to get a backup in just to get, get some, get a little more seasoning and it pretty much SEMO and nothing else. And some of that would have maybe helped them at this point. I, no, you never want Azlak to be out and you never want to have to play a non-starter, but chances are more times than not over the course of the SEC schedule, you're going to have to do that. Now, Namazoo's in that spot potentially against the best opponent they could play all season, the best opponent they will play all season. And uh, it's not a great time to not really know what you have in the, in the backup department. So add it to the list of reasons this game is concerning for Mizzou. And the biggest reason on that list, Dave, is this Georgia defense. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, um, I like what Bruce Feldman wrote recently about, you know, the difference between Georgia and Florida. And he quoted an assistant coach who kind of said something along the lines of, you know, Georgia's not just making plays. They're trying to demoralize you with every play. Yeah. It's like, well, when you put it that way, yeah, that's kind of what their defense does. It scores touchdowns. It, it hits. It, it is, it is aggressive. It's a, it's a scary defense. And, and that's kind of what the Tigers are, are walking into it in Athens there, but that if it was just a, a really good team, you'd say, okay, you know, whatever, this is, this isn't all it's made out to be, but the defense is, I don't want to use the word dangerous, but it's, it's potent and it's, and it's fired up right now. Yeah, absolutely. They have just some numbers in eight games. Georgia's defense has allowed 53 points. Uh, I don't have to remind Missouri fans that Tennessee scored 62 in Columbia a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they have, allowed five offensive touchdowns. Georgia has, Georgia's defense has scored four touchdowns. So they're one away from matching one. the number they've allowed. Yeah. That's how about that for a touchdown ratio? Um, they have so many players that they play. They don't, they have a lot of guys who are going to be drafted. Um, I don't know if they have a lot of guys that are going to be necessarily all Americans. Cause they, for one, they don't have to play a lot of snaps. Jordan Davis is this monstrous nose tackle. Who's getting a little bit of Heisman buzz. It's not because of his stats. He doesn't have stat. He has two sacks, but you watch him play and he just absolutely annihilates offensive lines. He only plays 23 snaps a game because he doesn't have to. They've got his backup, Jalen Carter, I believe his name is. He leads the team with pressures and sacks. How crazy is that? He's a backup. So it's, it's, it's not really fair. I mean, they've got five stars up and down their lineup. Eli made the point this week. They have more five stars on their roster than three stars. How is that possible? I mean, Kirby is just, he's a recruiting machine. So much of it is put on defense. You know, there's there's talk in Athens and Georgia about their offense that it's it's not super explosive. It doesn't need to be. Like they don't they score enough on defense. They don't need to be great on offense. Stetson Bennett's a kind of a game manager. He's getting it done. They've got loads of running backs and tight ends, and the receivers have been hurt, but they're what they have is fine. Uh, the defense is just it, it's and Jim Don's going to talk about this a little bit more because he sees them up close in practice and games and it's, it's, it's crazy. It's like they're playing with 12, maybe 13. Sometimes it seems like. Yeah. That's what you get feel when you watch them. There's kind of, just kind of this red swarm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they have a good nickname for those guys. They should, if they, if they don't already, but you know, you, you nailed it on the recruiting. And, and I do think that, you know, if 
you know, we probably know the outcome of this game, but if you are watching it, there are a lot of similarities in what Kirby Smart and Eli Drinkwitz say about recruiting. Yeah. And, and clearly Eli's at a different place now. And he would love to get to where Kirby is. We don't know if he can, we'll see whether it's here or somewhere else, who knows as a, as a college coach, but they both really seem to be, you know, on kind of the forward looking plan when it comes to just saying, yes, recruiting is the bedrock of, of our success right. or, or lack thereof. I mean, we hear a lot about it, right. Developing it's about getting the right guys or fitting the culture and Kirby smart and Eli Drinkwitz are, are kind of in the camp where they say, no, it's about getting the best players. Yeah. And let's, yeah. let's take away all the other bluster. The more better, the more, more times I can walk on a field with better players than the other coach, the better coach I look like. And, and, and he's really said that it's about how I coach. Yes. But, but having better talent than the opponent makes up for a lot of coaching. It makes a lot of okay coaches look great. And the, being on the flip side of it makes a lot of good coaches look okay or worse. And I do think that he and he and Eli, despite their differences, offense versus defense, or, know more of a traditional sec route versus a non non-conventional one they kind of have the same mantra there and that's really where eli has built up the momentum it's not so much on the field this year like he hoped it would be but it's in the recruiting classes it's getting luther burden who was coming down between mizzou and georgia to go to mizzou in order to close the gap you know against georgia you got to have some players on your team that can start at georgia you're never gonna have as many as them probably they become alabama east but you have to have a couple guys who can play there or else you're not going to beat them probably. Right. Right. And I'm not Ever. sure. I'm not sure Missouri has any right now. Maybe, maybe Tyler Beatty, but their running backs are pretty good. Harrison Mevis probably he could kick for anybody. Um, but Missouri's just not in that place right now. Now they, a few years ago, Barry Odom's first couple of years, you know, he and, he and Kirby smart started at their respective schools at the same year. And that first matchup went down to the wire. I mean, it literally went down to the final play. Um, the year before that, Gary Pinkles last year, Mark Ricks last year, what was it, nine to six in Athens? It was awful. Neither team had any offense. I think they had leather helmets in that game. Yeah, that seemed like it, man. They had so there. There have been times, and obviously Missouri won in Athens in 2013, the only win they've ever had against Georgia or at Georgia. Uh, so there have been times where these programs have been at least for one season, one day, kind of on par with each other, close enough. They're, they're not in that place right now. And Kirby's got a big head start, obviously, on Eli in year six. And he's recruiting at a Nick Saban level, maybe even beyond Nick Saban. And uh, he, he's really found something with this defense. I mean, everyone is everyone went to the spread, no huddle, RPO offense. And Georgia does a little bit of that. Todd Munkin's a really good offensive coach, their coordinator. But again, they don't, they don't have to score a ton of points. They don't need a first-round draft pick at quarterback. They're really going against the grain here. Uh, we've seen Clemson, we've seen Oklahoma, we've seen Ohio State. They have all climbed to the top of the college football uh, playoff rankings in recent years, not so much this year with Clemson because they've had great talent, but they've also had these generational talents at quarterback. Oklahoma does, or excuse me, Georgia doesn't do that. They don't need to because they've got these monsters on defense. And it's, it's really interesting if they should win a national title going this way, kind of against the conventional roster building trend in college football. Um, it'll say something, but you know what? They've got like a five-star committed for next year quarterback. And I think they've got one on their bench right now. So no one's feeling sorry for them in the offensive department. Yeah. Arch Manning is going to announce in two yeah. weeks that he's going to uh, Georgia. Now, um, 
yeah, the rich get richer, right? But but that's that's part of it. You know, we know where top players want to go. They want to go to a place that wins. They want to go to a place that wins and, and plays for national championships and then puts them in the NFL in a place where the stadium's packed and everybody loves it. I mean, it, it all feeds into itself, but recruiting really is kind of the lifeblood, the lifeblood of it. We hear a lot of coaches say it. Um, we hear we see not that many coaches have as much success as Kirby yeah. has been able to have at Georgia. So pretty, pretty dang impressive team down there in Athens. But, you know, you mentioned one guy who could play for, for Georgia potentially. And I do think he'd be in their stable of running backs. The way he's played this year is Tyler Beatty, man. Is it bittersweet season for Tyler Beatty? Because I, I wish, I wish he was getting, you know, doing this for a team that was, you know, ranked and he was getting all of this national spotlight that he deserves, but uh, it's hard to find a guy who's doing more for his team um, he's got to be at or near the top of the list in terms of team MVPs this season, right. Dave. He just keeps he just keeps finding ways to will the Tigers to either competitive games or, or wins. Yeah, and you know his the some will tell you, well, look at his numbers; they're skewed toward the bad games. Well, that it doesn't matter in the end. And once you've had an eight game body of work and a twelve game body of work, and you're doing what he's doing, um, a lot of the times the best players put up their best numbers against bad teams. Uh, this team is not complete enough for him to be able to do that consistently against the best teams. But, you know, when, when they had a shot at Kentucky, it was because Tyler Beatty was on their side. If they have any shot at Georgia, and I'm not sure they do, um, they're, they're going to be thankful they've got at least Tyler Beatty on their side. Kirby Smart just raved about him this week and talked about him as being one of the best runners he's seen this year. And, um, you know, he just gets so much done. He's so valuable uh, in, the, in the passing game, too. Uh, he just makes these plays that are so – it's not just the numbers. It's how he does them. I mean, he's just spinning and breaking tackles and running away from people. It really has been – you know, it, it's it's fun to watch. And then to know that he's doing this on a team that is so incomplete and has no defense and has an offensive line that is average at best and a passing game that is really inconsistent, to be able to have a running back that can still do the things he's doing – is really, really impressive. You know, he's top four in the nation right now in rushing, in touchdowns, in yards from scrimmage. You know, he's touches not just in the, he's got the most touches of any, of any player yeah. in the SEC. It's not close. Which shows his value. Absolutely. He could also be returning punts and kickoffs if they really needed him to. And he'd be one of the best ones at that too. So he's absolutely building a future for himself. I mean, he is maybe 10 years ago there, he'd be a scat back in the NFL right now. I mean, I think he could play in the NFL. Um, he's he's a big catch. He can, can catch passes. Um, you, you spread them out in those empty formations that we see NFL teams do all the time. They'd love to have a guy like that. Maybe you can play quarterback. Maybe Wildcat against the uh, against the Bulldogs. All right, I don't want to go too long on it, but I do. I do have to say, I mean, it doesn't need to be any more than a note, but not encouraging that after a bye week against a, a very bad offense, the defense yeah. looked as porous as it has all season. I mean that. That needed to be a statement game for Steve Wilkes, and it wasn't. I don't know what else to say about it. I know it's not all based off of the scheme. Sometimes it's got to be players making plays, but that was not the performance from the defense that anybody hoped to see, and I would imagine Eli Drinkwitz included, coming out of a bye week against an offense that's not been very good. Yeah, they go with the backup quarterback who's a runner pretty much only. I mean, he couldn't throw the ball. And I thought Missouri's corners played well. They made some nice plays on the ball when the ball was in the air, but it didn't have to be in the air because they just ran it. And the quarterback had two long runs, 69 and 70 yards. It was just awful tackling, bad angles. Um, it looked like the same old Missouri defense. And then they're down to their third string running back. And, you know, again, 
I'm not evaluating all these players coming out of high school or signing them stars, but I'm going to guess the third string running back at Vanderbilt is probably um, not very good compared to what Georgia has or uh, Alabama has or heck Missouri has. And he almost had a hundred yards and it wasn't fluky. They were, they were just chunks and giving it to him over and over again. And again, Missouri couldn't tackle up front very well. Trajan Jeffcoat had a really rough game uh, at linebacker. They, they weren't great. I do think Bailey has Chad Bailey's given them a little bit of physicality. He hit the quarterback a couple of times that I thought helped the Tigers kind of impact, take the passing game out of it. But man, you got to be better than that against just a completely feeble, incompetent Vanderbilt offense, except for that day, it was kept him in the game. Well said. Um, I'm, I have nothing else to add and we won't turn it into another defensive uh, whining podcast on that positive note though. Let's uh, let's change gears. Let's hear more about the Georgia Bulldogs from podcast guest Jim Donnan. We are now joined by Jim Donnan, former head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs, also a former Missouri Tigers assistant coach. We'll talk about that a little bit, too. And Jim is uh, joining us from Athens, Georgia, where I'll be later in the week for Saturday's Missouri Georgia game. Number one Bulldogs have just uh, crushed everybody <laughs> on their way to this number one ranking and uh, Jim, we want to talk about this Georgia team, but but first off, uh, how are you? How are you doing? And and um, how how crazy is Athens right now with this football team looking like the, the best team in the country? Well, it's a real pleasure being on with you, Dave. You know, as I told you when you won that award, I've always enjoyed what you do, and I've tried to keep up with Missouri over the years after I left uh, in '84 and. You know, I really kept up with him a lot more when Andy Hill was coaching because, uh, yeah. you know, he played for me. But, you know, the main thing for me, I still got a lot of friends there in Columbia, and uh, that was a good part of our life together. Uh, unfortunately, I lost my wife this summer to cancer and uh, kind of tried to adjust a little bit as, as I can. But in the meantime, I've had a lot more time to, you know, maybe go watch practice a few times. I spent yeah. a little more time than I would normally when I was taking care of her. But it, it's been a great year. As you mentioned, it's just been a an unbelievable ride because uh, we really haven't been challenged, which I think is the real question mark for our team. I mean, I really think we're good, but uh, at the same time, nobody's really hammered down on us. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, the schedule every year is one way or the other, or fortunately for us, but uh, but we know that, Missouri's always a team that is, you know, well coached and injured things have happened, but uh, I don't think I've ever heard of a Missouri team coming in here and being 37 or eight point underdog. That's kind of unbelievable to me. Yeah. And I, I think it says just as much about Georgia than it does Missouri, but your, your time at Missouri, now you coached offense under, under Warren powers, I think was 81 to 84. What, what stands out about those years? Those were the Marlon Adler years. You had, Andy Hill, like you mentioned, George Shorthose. What, uh, yeah. what what sticks out in your memory? Well, the one thing is we were so close. You know, we had those yeah. big wins over Oklahoma twice, which actually helped me get the offensive job at Oklahoma. In fact, we did pretty well against them. And then, you know, we were very close against Nebraska. And, uh, you know, we, we never could get a balance between when our offense was real good, our defense was struggling, and, when our defense was real good, our offense was. But, uh, you know, I enjoyed working for Warren, and uh, he was a good man. I uh, hate that, uh, you know, his wife, Linda, just passed away, and, yeah. and Warren's got some issues too. But, 
you know, it was just a fun time for me uh, because uh, Columbia is such a good town and my, my son was growing up there and really got him going in athletics and just a good place to live. And, uh, you know, it's one of my fun parts of coaching, even though we were, weren't quite good enough. It was a team that uh, really enjoyed. I met a lot of good kids and, and helped me in recruiting too, because I was able to build some uh, relationships in St. Louis and Kansas city, which helped yeah. me get some players over the years. Anthony Stafford came to uh, Oklahoma from there and uh, you know, uh, 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 Kenyon Rush from, uh, right there in Kansas City, Mark Van Kiersbilk. These kids were, did a good job for us at OU. Uh-huh, absolutely. How about this Georgia team? They uh, Obviously, the defense is best in the country, maybe one of the best we've seen in college football in, in a long time. When you see this team play, what most impresses you? Well, it's certainly about the speed that we have it really sticks out because you got such big guys that can run, they can run good. I mean, uh, chase the ball, play inside out, and you, you just can't make many mistakes against George. I mean, there's some holes in the defense. I mean, got a younger second, the talent we've had in the secondary. You know, had five guys drafted last year off the secondary and uh, two transferred issue, but – and I don't feel sorry for many of them. They got some good players back there. So, uh, uh, you know, it's just a case of uh, really good recruiting, and they coach him up. I mean, you know, Kirby's always been a defensive coach. Uh, he brought in Will Muschamp as an analyst, helping with our defense. And, of course, a, a Kansas City, a Missouri guy, Dan Lanning, is the defensive right. coordinator and played at William Jewell and just a real, real uh, guy that's going to be out on the coaching head coach and marketing here pretty quick. So, but as you know, Dave, players make coaches and we got really good defensive uh, players offensively, not quite as good as we've had, but I give uh, Todd Monk and offensive coordinator a lot of credit because he had guys hurt again. You don't feel sorry for a number one ranked team, but uh, we had our full complement of players, George Pickens, you know, who is a first round draft choice at wide receiver has missed the whole year with the ACL. Don Blaylock, a starting wide receiver, has another one with the ACL. And uh, just one thing after another, offense starting quarterback uh, JT Daniels has had a trouble with his shoulder and his arm. But, uh, but you know, our offense has put it together, though. They don't turn the ball over much, run the ball effectively. And we got a big-time kicking game, too. So uh, it's, it's a very complete team. Uh, not a dominant offensive team, but defensively hard to move the ball on. Yeah. You're an offensive guy. When you watch Jordan Davis play at defensive tackle, I mean, have you, have you seen many guys like this? He's, he's He doesn't put up huge numbers. You got to watch the games to appreciate him. I mean, he, I've got him on my Heisman ballot right now. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> seen too many guys that big, that fast, that quick that does the things that, that he does inside to just wreck your, your offensive line, your offensive game plan. Well, you know, he's just a guy, Dave, that you got to account for because yeah. if you don't, he can not, it's kind of like Tony Casillas that played nose guard for us at, at uh, Oklahoma. Yeah. Just so disruptive at the point of attack, jacking the center and making your whole, of course, when you're in the gun, it's a little easier and the centers doesn't have to do anything but get a tie there. But he is a, a really strong guy, but he can move. I mean, he's been up to 20, almost 20 miles 
driver on the GPS. He's got really good uh, demeanor about him. The kids like the fact that he's a kind of jolly green giant type guy that gets along with everybody. But what he does, as you know, covering football like you have, is you've got to account for him in your blocking schemes, whether it's pass pro or running and, you know, by double teaming him, then you give up a lot of stuff with our linebackers who are very fast. But we got two other guys that are just as disruptive. Uh, Jalen Carter, number 88, big-time defensive tackle. Reminds me a lot of uh, uh, Richard Seymour, who I had here. Yeah, uh, An excellent athlete. He played tight end in high school. He comes in on our jumbo package on the goal line. He's actually caught a touchdown pass here last yeah. year. And then uh, uh, Walker, 44, is, is another one. Kind of like some of these D-lines you saw at Missouri there under Pinkle, where they had just really guys are getting drafted every year. I think that's the thing. And then, of course, on the we got two force guys that just really run well. So that front seven is kind of who's who of players. As I mentioned, the secondary's got some issues, but they're getting better. It, it, is this Georgia defense vulnerable anywhere? I mean, it, you got to have a perfect day, got to hit some big plays and, and play really clean, obviously, to have a chance. But is there anywhere that – not just Missouri, but any team can scheme something up to take advantage of something? Well, I think anytime you play football, there's always a chance. And, of course, Drinkwitz is a good offensive coach. And you're going to have to get some explosive plays. I mean, yeah. you're not going to take this ball and march it unless, like at the end of the game, Kentucky kept the ball for 11 minutes, Dinkin and Duncan trying to just get a score there at the end. And then, you know, Florida did the same thing last week. But – um, to win the game, you're going to have to have two or three big plays, like in, going against any defense. But I do think, you know, with the running back you got, he's the kind of guy that can break tackles. We're an excellent tackling team, but all of a sudden you break a couple of tackles and then you make, you know, a big play or it makes the difference in making another first down. I mean, if you get three more plays against any defense, but I think the thing is, one, avoid third down. If you get yeah. in the third down against us, it's hard because then you don't have the threat of the run the pass and to get some explosive plays. And the other thing is don't stop yourself. We've just had a lot of teams a little anxious. You know, you go up there and you see Jordan Davis and you see these guys and all of a sudden racehorse position, what we call where the guy's getting ready to pro and he's standing up and then he moves and, you know, you get those penalties. Uh, Arkansas did that a lot to start the game. And so yeah. don't beat yourself. Number one, get some explosive plays. Sure. Offensively, Jim, tell us about Stetson Bennett. We've seen him before. Um, he's played a decent amount of football at Georgia, but he's, he seems to be a little more efficient, a little more prolific this year. And they're kind of defying this trend that you have to have a first-round pick-type quarterback to thrive nationally now. We've seen it with Trevor Lawrence and the Alabama guys, but – Stetson doesn't really fit that mold, but he's just getting the job done, isn't he? Yeah, the big thing about Stetson is is the tight cast that he gets because of his size, and people don't really know what his abilities are. But he's got really good feet. He's a smart kid, and he yeah, he's a lot like Marlon Adler that played for us at, yeah. uh, at Missouri. Not quite as tall, but, you know, the kind of guy that can get out of bad plays. And with our offensive line right now, which – is, uh, you know, developing. We're, we, we're not quite as suited to the drop back, like you talk about the big play type offense that Todd Munkin brought in here as the offensive coordinator. And you add the fact that Lincoln's in play and, and some of these other guys, 
So they're coaching around that. They're, you know, running play action passes, running things that, that focus on what uh, Stetson can do. But I can tell you now, he can throw the ball deep and he, he's got good feet. And uh, I wouldn't say that he's a game manager, but what he they're taking care of the ball. They went three straight games without a turnover. And then last week we had a couple, but uh, you know, you got to stop this offense because we've got some really good backs. You saw those backs last year when Missouri played yeah. out there. Uh, we got, you know, Cook and White and uh, and some of these guys are really good backs, uh, a lot like the one Missouri's got. Yeah. Knowing Kirby and, and how he runs his program and just what you've seen from this team, any chance for some let up just because they've already clinched the division. They're going to be number one, you know, here for a while until someone knocks them off. Or is this one of those teams that just has that look and feel like they're on a mission? Well, you certainly always worry about it, particularly after you clinch, like you mentioned, Dave, you already won the SEC East. But the one thing that I would say about our team uh, competitively that I've got maybe a little advantage getting to go over there once in a while, I don't go much, but they really practice hard against each other and regardless who the opponent is. So, if you're an offensive lineman out there this week, you're in a survival mode against Jordan Davis. I mean, you're not going to be able to let up because if yeah. you do, you can get your ass knocked off in practice. So we go hard against each other, uh, maybe sometime too hard for my – I'm a little old coach, a little old-fashioned, but I don't I worry about listening to Don Farrell used to tell me, hey, the freshest team will win. Don't worry about doing all this. But, but you know, we, we got to be careful about hurting each other. But – I do agree with Kirby from the standpoint, our players get better all year going against that kind of competition because, you know, they, they're going against high level guys. And by that, I mean, they don't take the whole practice and go against each other, but they do have team periods where one versus one, you know, on the goal line or one versus one team pass and stuff like that. So it's hard to get complacent when you're in that survival mode. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, well, Jim, we appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I say all the time, I think I think Georgia's game day atmosphere, they just do it right. I think it's the best in the SEC. And, and you know, even though it's Missouri, big, big point spread, being number one, I, I anticipate that place is going to be on fire on on Saturday. And um, it's a really impressive team. They've been they've been fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, just like uh, I'm sure Coach Drink does, you know, anytime you got a home game, you really want to strive to, particularly with COVID yeah. last year without the the the, uh, the fans in the stands, uh, recruiting is so paramount. And I'm not talking about 2022 kids. I'm talking about 2023, 2024. And you bring them in and that's their first look at, the, at what it's like. I remember when I was coaching at Missouri, we played Nebraska one year when they were number one and we, we had a lot of recruits in and that, yeah. That place was on fire. You know, we ended up losing a close game, but that's vivid in a kid's mind when he sees that, you know, uh, this kind of atmosphere. And, of course, it's like anybody. It's kind of like our fans with the Braves right now. You know, uh, you know, you, you want to be up there where you, you got a chance to win it all. So everybody's soaking it in and they're in, enjoy, in enjoyment mode. But same time, there's still a lot of a lot of bread left on the table here. I mean, a lot of tough games ahead, and uh, you know we we know we'll have one this week. Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, Jim, really appreciate it, and uh, 
I, I enjoy this team. I, I know you enjoy getting over there sometimes and getting to watch them up close, but, but we really appreciate your insight, not just for uh, this Georgia team, but, but some Missouri memories too. Hey, that's right. But uh, I, I do want to tell one quick story on sure. Missouri if I could, because it, it always makes, it makes me laugh and I don't get to talk, tell it much, but Larry <laughs> Bechtel was a new coach for us. Yeah. One of the things uh, Coach Powers did every year, we had to go over there to a local group, a Tiger Booster Club, and have a kickoff uh, deal where we would, you know, kind of get everybody would talk a little bit and get fired up. And one of the things that uh, he always did is he got, if it's a new coach, he got him to lead him in a fight song. So I told uh, Beck, I said, look, Beck, I don't want, I got to tell you now, you're going to have to lead them in the fights. Oh, they don't get me to do that. They won't do that. So I kept telling him. And finally, we got up there and the president, just pretend, you know, hey, the president, Dave Matter gets, he said, okay, we're going to play the Missouri fight song and Larry Bechtel's going to lead us in it. So he looked over at me, he said, what is it? What is it? I said, it's fight, Tigers fight for old Missouri, you know, like that. And so he gets up there in front of about 500 people there and he says, fight tigers fight you know like and it was so funny i mean he didn't go fast and he's like an old coach and it was probably one of the funniest things i've ever seen in public you know fight tigers fight so that was a good mizzou story yeah that's the slow version yeah they, they, that was they really up a little bit more yeah it was but hey it's nice to be with you dave and i appreciate the fact what you've done for mizzou over the years and uh, I, from my standpoint, I'm sure a lot of old Mizzou people enjoy with the online stuff, keeping up with what you do. So uh, there's a lot of people that appreciate you, buddy. Oh, man, that means a lot. I really appreciate it, Jim. Well, that'll do it for this week's podcast. We want to remind our listeners to please subscribe at stltoday.com slash podcast to the Eye on the Tigers podcast. If you haven't already, you can find us at Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. If so, please leave a comment. We always enjoy your feedback. For Ben Fredrickson and our special guest today, Jim Don and I'm Dave Matter, we will talk to you next week.